Let me thank the worship team and the Missintones for reminding us of God's grace to us um, and our role as, as stewards and recipients of God's good gifts, how we use those to, to bless other people. Um, so one uh, announcement I forgot to mention, very important announcement, huge announcement, um, that delicious smell that's uh, distracting you right now. That's your lunch, and, uh, and that will be served right after this worship service. So basically, we've done a few things this Sunday uh, to mark our one-year anniversary of the Next Step of Faith campaign. Uh, we're, we're hosting a lunch, and I hope we'll enjoy just some time together. Uh, we'll show the, the slideshow again, just trying to highlight um, and give thanks uh, and build some awareness of how God is using this facility, this building, as a tool for ministry to bless our congregation and to bless our community. It's kind of helpful to see those pictures and um, be reminded of that. Um, and in addition to that, we just had our adult discipleship class. We were talking about the four M's, um, missions, uh, mercy ministry, um, ministry in general, and, uh, and multiplying churches are the four M's that are are really the purpose behind this, uh, and that's why you all got M&Ms. Don't forget the M's. And if you just need a snack, you know, if lunch is too far away, help yourself. I'm going to have a few here. Um, really, that's the heart behind the, uh, the stewardship campaign. How can we release more resources? If we weren't paying a mortgage, how can we do more ministry, more missions, more mercy, and more multiplication? A year ago, I stood in front of you, and had to repent. I had to apologize to you because Tabernacle at that point was 15 years old. We're coming up on 16 years. And I never addressed, as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, I'd never really tackled stewardship or money head on. Um, that's not to say that when a sermon text would come, uh, come around, you know, and maybe there was an application point to make, I'd say, all right, let's talk about money here and there. But I was just kind of like poking the bear um, and then it was like a poke and run. You know, I'd just run over here and then I wouldn't have to really deal with the bear. I never gave the bear a bear hug. Uh, I never wrestled the bear. I never wrestled the money bear to the ground. Um, and, all right, so part of that uh, was just me being afraid of reinforcing the stereotype of churches being obsessed with money, uh, manipulating people because of money and about their money and so on. You know all the bad stereotypes out there. I didn't want anything to do with that. And so that's valid. We should all be afraid of reinforcing that stereotype. But not so afraid that we gag ourselves on a topic that Jesus spoke more about than he did about heaven and hell combined, right? He talked more about money than, than the afterlife. He talked about money in this life more than he did about, you know, the, the glory of the afterlife. And that should, that, that should alert you uh, when you're not hearing about money from your pastor, and, uh, and from others. So, all right, so in one sense, uh, that, that was a, a valid fear, but it didn't justify overcompensating and, and not discipling us and teaching us all of God's, uh, God's words about, about money. So um, the good news of the gospel is you can always repent, <laughs> and that's what we did. Um, our stewardship series was really an act of repentance, and it bore a lot of fruit, not just financial fruit, uh, and we'll get to that later, but spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit that the Missantones have already alluded to just in their family, seeing how God was blessing them as they think about stewardship. Uh, the, the fruit of our togetherness as a congregation, working on a task together, pushing the same plow together, 
And, uh, and then just also seeing the goodness of what it means for us to, to clarify our vision. What does it mean for us to concentrate our resources to do more ministry, missions, mercy, and multiplication? So some of the good, good things spiritually that were gained through that. So this morning, um, I, I'm not, you know, they say that the fruit of repentance is change. So you're, you're not done hearing about money. Uh, so anyway, let's turn to 1 Peter 4. And uh, we're going to talk about stewardship this morning. We're, uh, we're looking at Peter's words because he is talking about the nature of love. And this is a wonderful connection that I want you to see. I'm eager for you to see. Uh, I'm in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and following. Let's stand in honor of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we do pray that you would bless your word. Uh, Bless the hearing of your word and the receiving of it. Uh, Change us, we pray. We didn't come here to leave uh, unaffected. We came here to, to be better disciples. We came here to know more of your love, to be changed by more of your love, and to live in light of more of your love. We pray that you would have your way with us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. So what do you notice in verse 7? Verse 7, the end of all things is near. The end is near, right? You know, the guys with the sandwich boards on the street corners and the the parody of the uh, end times preachers and eschatology conferences and so on. Uh, Peter is, is, you know, not not hiding from the truth that guess what? The end of redemptive history is near. Everything that God intended to take place to accomplish and apply our salvation has happened through Jesus. The only thing that is left is the return of Jesus. And in that um, progressive sense, the end is near. Chronologically, I can't say, you can't say when exactly the end is near. But in terms of sequence, the end is next. The end is near. Beware of anybody that tells you, I can tell you when Jesus is coming back. I know the, you know, the date and, and so on. Um, that person is crazy. Uh, turn around and run away. Uh, But what we can tell you is this, and I can tell you factually, that 2018 is here, and that means we're one year closer. One year closer to the return of Jesus. And Peter is talking about how we're supposed to live life in a certain way in light of that reality. Now, um, that's attention gaining. It should sort of like wake us up a little bit, help us be more sober-minded, as Peter describes. It's sort of like when uh, Kathy and I and Lydia were driving yesterday, heading out 250. We were heading to Harrisonburg uh, for a, um, a little music festival at JMU. And I'm behind a car, and we're cruising along, and we're just coming out of Fishersville, heading into Stanton on 250. 
and this car pulls right out in front of us, decides instead of waiting for me to pass and enjoy the roughly half a mile of clearance behind me in my rearview mirror, this, this driver decided I'm going to thread the needle in between the car in front of me and my car and just gun it. And like, Kathy's on the phone with Sarah. She you know, screams out loud. I'm hitting the brakes and sort of you know, holding on. And you know, our hearts are beating faster, and it was very attention-getting. And uh, you know, it kind of made me think a little bit more carefully about, all right, I'm, I'm going to be more vigilant right now. Right? You, you have those experiences. So for the next you know, month, I'm, I'm Mr. Vigilant, or at least the next week or at least the next five minutes. I'm really, really focused on the road uh, because I don't want that to happen again. Well, the return of Jesus is like that, but to really understand Peter's perspective, I need to switch the analogy around. Okay, for some, for some, the return of Jesus really will be a collision between heaven and earth. And those who are unrepentant uh, those who are unprepared for the return of Jesus will have the, uh, an, an eternal alarm, uh, in, in a sense. However, for those who are repentant, who do look to Jesus and are preparing for that day and looking and longing for that day, it will be not like a collision, it will be like a wonderful wedding. It will be like a, a beautiful birthday. It, um, uh, let me give you an example. Uh, as you look forward to a wedding, what does that do? It, it concentrates your attention. It concentrates your schedule. It even focuses your money. It sort of aligns your life and your resources toward this, this you know, wonderful wedding day. Our friends, the Slaters, Joe and Terry Slater. Uh, Joe is the RUF pastor at JMU, and you've heard from him here at Tabernacle. Um, well, they've got a very interesting summer coming up. Not only did uh, their middle son Austin proposed uh, to his now fiance, and they're getting married this summer. So did their daughter. Their daughter didn't propose, was proposed too, and Anna is now getting married uh, this summer. They've got two weddings this summer. And then their oldest son, Nathan, also proposed and they found out like a month ago that they're expecting three weddings this summer. Can you imagine how that concentrates and focuses the mind? Like nothing else. And it will be wonderful. But look, there's, there's, that, that colors reality. That shapes how they are doing life right now. As they look forward to not one, not two, but three wonderful weddings uh, this summer. I have a week... Actually, it's a, it's a longer period of time, but let me just tell you about some birthdays and fun events in the daily household. I have, um, beginning on August 12th, I, I need to be Mr. Focused, Mr. Alert when it comes to loving my family because we've got some beautiful birthdays and other things going on. August 12th is Rachel's birthday. Great. And then August 15th is mine and Kathy's anniversary. Fun stuff. And then August 19th, this all happens in one week, is Kathy's birthday. And then two weeks after that is Michael and Sarah's birthday, September 8th. And, you know, and so it's just boom, 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 fun, fun, fun. We're having so much fun. Uh, and and I'm, I need to, I've got cakes to make and birthday presents and you know, anniversary stuff. And, and it's, a, it's wonderful, but it focuses the mind because you want to love your family. You want, I want to love my wife, I want to love my kids, and so on. So 
when Peter says the end is near, be sober-minded and self-controlled. He's, he's not kidding. This, this wonderful wedding day of the bride and the groom coming together at that marriage supper of the Lamb, it's reality. It's coming. And we're a year closer. And this beautiful new birthday, capital D, it's coming. So be sober-minded. Be self-controlled. Shape your life around this reality. It's coming and it's going to be beautiful and wonderful. And so, you know, I love the first thing. <laughs> What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the words, the end is near? What do you, what do you think? Uh, what's the first application that you think, you know, people are, you're supposed to do in light of Jesus' return? It's near. Well, the bumper stickers say, the end is near, Jesus is coming, look busy. Whatever. You know, snarky sort of uh, uh, sarcastic way of talking about the return of Jesus. Uh, the, the, again, the guys on the street corners with the sandwich boards, uh, repent for the end is near. And you think, all right, repent. Well, there's truth to that for sure. Sadly, I think it gets um, packaged in not a very winsome way uh, through some of the, the ways that people communicate that message. Or, or just simply, all right, well, I, I, I definitely am in thinking about a sober mind and being self-controlled. Therefore, I should stop sinning in this way or that way, you know, because sin is contrary to God's plan. He takes sin seriously, and so I want to get my house in order, so to speak. I want to, you know, shape up, do good, etc. Well, all right, so there's some truth to that, but look at what Peter's focus is. What's Peter's focus? The end is near. Peter says in verse 8, here's what you do then, above all, right? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. How's that for the end is near? What should I do? Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. I love how the very first thing that Peter thinks about is not keeping busy or stop doing this or you know, start doing this, but instead keep on loving one another earnestly. That's Peter's, that's Peter's application. And it's uh, you know, you and I should not be surprised to hear this from Peter, of all people, because he himself had had sort of a mini episode of the return of Jesus, like a foreshadowing of what that would be like when he stands before the risen Christ and gives an accounting for his actions. That literally happened to him after Jesus had died and was resurrected. And, well, Peter and the disciples, what do they do? They go, they go back to their nets. They go back to fishing. They've been out all night, they haven't caught anything, and this guy shows up on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he says, um, how's the catch? And they go, we haven't done, you know, squat tonight. And he says, well, why don't you throw your net over on the other side of the boat? And so they go, okay. <laughs> they throw their net over, miraculous catch of fish, and that's when they recognize the stranger on the shore is Jesus, resurrected, glorified Jesus. Uh, impulsive Peter I don't know why he does this, but John tells us that he puts on his outer garment, jumps into the water, swims to shore, and is encountering Jesus right there. He's making them breakfast of all things. I love this episode. And Jesus confronts Peter, holds him accountable for his betrayal, his threefold betrayal of Jesus by asking Peter three times successively, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? 
Peter answers in succession three times, Lord, you know I love you. Lord, you know I love you. Yes, you know I love you. And Jesus isn't giving Peter a hard time. He's drilling into Peter's hard head the reality of the necessity of love, the importance, the priority of love. This is what I want you to do, Peter. Love me. Love me. Love me. So this is a a foretaste of what we are going to encounter when we stand before the glorified uh, Savior. If there's going to be an exam to take, if there's going to be you know, some kind of entrance requirement to get into heaven, let me tell you, it's not an SAT where you're judged on your knowledge of doctrine and scripture and how many verses you've memorized and so on. It's not about your knowledge. It's an EKG. It's how is your heart? How is your heart? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The evidence of that love, of course, is how we love each other. How do we love each other? What does love look like? What does it mean to love earnestly? What is, how does love cover a multitude of sins? These are some of the things that Peter gives us some answers to. Look at verse 9 and following. As, as you see what it means for us to respond to God's love by the ways that we're loving one another, Peter's love isn't sentimental. It's not syrupy. It's nothing you're going to hear on Top 40 Radio. Peter's love is substantial and it's sacrificial. It's measurable, it's tangible, and it's concrete. And it can be seen in acts of hospitality. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling in verse 9. It can be heard in verse 11 uh, in words of blessing. Whoever speaks, speak as one who speaks oracles of God, the words of God. And then it can be sensed in acts of service. The rest of verse 11 talks about those who serve, serving as by the strength that God supplies. And so this is what love looks like. Just a little snapshot. It looks like hospitality. It looks like speaking words of blessing to one another. It looks like acts of service. So those things can't happen when you're isolated. None of those things can happen if you're just kind of going along doing your own thing. All of those things require one important element, and that's another person. An other for love to be directed toward. Love is other-oriented. Love is self-forgetful, and it puts the needs of others ahead of our own desires and wants. And that is what constitutes earnest love. It's not superficial. It's earnest, and it goes to the other with concrete application. It's felt, it's heard, it's sensed, etc. And love covers a multitude of sins, according to Peter, not because it's keeping a record of wrongs. Instead, it's forgetful and quick to forgive, and it doesn't hold other people accountable uh, and, and keeping score and being quick to condemn and quick to accuse. Love is understanding, and uh, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 13 and read Paul's description of the way that love is completely different from the way that the world loves. The world loves if you love the world first, it will love you back. 
The world will love you as long as you're productive. The world will love you as long as you give them what they want. The world will love you as long as you don't fail them or disappoint them or become a burden to them. You're good. As long as you can measure up, you're fine and you'll get love back. Fall short in any way and you're going to be a lonely soul. That's the way the world loves. That's not the way Jesus loves. Jesus' love is entirely different. And Jesus is the, way, is the one who loves us actually in, in, precisely because we failed is why he loves us. And he loves us not because um, we are uh, pleasing to him and we're, we're making him happy, but he, it's pleasing to him to love us. And in fact, even though we fail him, even though we've disappointed him, even though you know, we fall short of those expectations, he keeps on loving us. He doesn't hold our sins against us, but he forgives us and even, gosh, if you consider his words from the cross, I want you to recognize something very, really remarkable. When did Jesus forgive us? Was it before or after we asked for forgiveness? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus loves us and forgives us before we even ask for forgiveness. The world will only love you and only forgive you after you've you know, paid your pound of flesh. Jesus doesn't drop us because we become burnt into him. Instead, he carries us. He carried that cross all the way up to Golgotha, and that's where he died to prove his love for us. That's where he died to die as a loving sacrifice in our place. Jesus loves me. This I know. Because the Bible tells me about it describes that love and makes it concrete. It's not syrupy, it's not sentimental. So it's popular, it's popular in our circles, in our churches, in our denomination, and it's important to emphasize the fact that at the cross there was an accounting that, that took place. Um, we call it like a, a double imputation is the fancy uh, expression, a theological expression, where what we mean by that is that at the cross, my sin and your sins, the sins of everybody who trusts in Jesus, gets transferred to Jesus' account. And he, he becomes the, the sinner in our place. And at the same time, the goodness and the rightness, the righteousness of Jesus gets transferred to our account. And I received that as a gift. I didn't, I didn't earn that righteousness. Jesus earned it for me, and it's credited to my account. And it's sort of the spiritual accounting, right? But let me make, very, make, make it really clear. If you get that in your head, good. But you've got to get it in your heart as well. Jesus didn't die as your accountant. And I don't know any of you uh, that, you know, maybe you're getting ready to put your taxes together. You're going to take them to your accountant. Your accountant's going to give you back, you know, all your taxes and what you owe or what you're going to get back. Do you love your accountant? You don't love your, I mean, maybe you're married to an accountant, and if, I hope you love your accountant, if you're married to, your, to an accountant. But you don't love your accountant. You're just, all right, thanks, that's great. See you next year. That's not Jesus. It's important that you understand what he did for us in that transfer, but that's got to affect your heart as well. And so the real question is, do you love me? He's loved us, do you love him? That's what conversion is. That's what being a new person in Christ is about. It's having your heart changed. 
having your hard heart melted by the love of God in Jesus. This is how we grow. This is how you enter the kingdom by understanding his love for you and you respond in love um, as, as, a, as one who's been loved, as a bride responds to a groom and receiving that love from our heavenly groom. And this is how we grow as Christians, is coming to know in greater ways the height the depth, the width, and the length of the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. Do you understand how important love is? And then do you understand that all of these expressions of love that Peter is putting forward here are actually demonstrations of stewardship? You, you thought I'd forgotten about stewardship. You're not off the hook. All right. Look at the ways that that Peter is describing these acts of love, things like hospitality and speaking and serving. So, um, gosh, Mike and Sherry have already very um, eloquently described how hospitality is using the home that God gave you, using, you know, this welcome that God has extended to us and then extending that to others. So it's taking what he's given to us and then passing it on. Specifically, Peter's expressing in verse 11... Um, that we're, back in in verse uh, 10, that we're to be good stewards of God's varied grace in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. How are we stewards of God's varied grace? Well, he points it out very clearly in verse 11, these words of blessing that that are acts of love, these other oriented acts of love when we speak words of blessing to another person. What words are those? Look at verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles or words of God. They're God's words given to us so that we as good stewards would pass on good words to other people. The words don't originate with us, they come from God. The blessing is from God. And then Peter explains the same is true for service. As one who serves by the strength that God supplies. God gives us the resources and he calls us as good stewards of God's varied grace to put those resources to work to love other people so that we are demonstrating how love is not only self or, um, uh, other-oriented, but stewardship is other-oriented. Uh, this is true for everything. And you know, here specifically, it's true for money, I love how Paul tells Timothy, tell the rich, you know, in in your church, Timothy, not to be proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. Um, reminded me of a quote by Randy Alcorn uh, in his little book, The Treasure Principle. He says, God comes right out and tells us why he gives us more money than we need. It's not so that we can find more ways to spend it, and it's not so we can indulge ourselves and spoil our children, and it's not so we can insulate ourselves from needing God's provision. It's so we can give generously. Paul tells the Corinthian church, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards, that's all of us, that they be found faithful. We've been given a stewardship. God's going to 
call us to answer for how we've done as his stewards. What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So here is just sort of laying open the reality that I brought nothing into this world. I'm taking nothing out of it. Everything I have while I'm in this, on this planet has been given to me as a gift. And so Randy Alcorn puts it this way. God owns everything. I'm just his money manager. You're just his money manager. You're his, you're his steward. So let's talk about stewardship at Tabernacle to wrap it up. Um, as I said, we're doing our next step of faith anniversary Sunday. And, and we've been focusing on these, these M's, um, the ministry and missions and mercy and multiplication. And, and I want you to see those things as a stewardship. Those are, those are activities and blessings that God's put into our hands, put in our possession and said, I'm, I want you to be responsible for these things as a way to bless your community and to bless your congregation. And, and, uh, and so to that end, do we want to bury those resources and just kind of keep them tight and secure until Jesus comes back? Or do we want to invest them and put them to work and watch them grow and watch them multiply? I, I know what I'd rather do. So as a church, those are our, that's our stewardship. And as elders and deacons, uh, elder, your leaders have a unique additional stewardship, and they're called to equip and train the body of Christ here to do those M's in addition, in addition to other things. Um, as your pastor, Kyle and I, as your pastors, Kyle and I, I have been given a unique stewardship, um, and, and I already read it to you. Paul described himself as a steward of the mystery of God, not that the gospel is something really hard to understand and you need a professional to help you get it. No, it's just simply that it was previously not as clear as it is now in the age of the cross, in the age of Jesus. And as preachers and pastors, we've been given a unique charge, a unique stewardship to make that mystery that was formerly hidden now revealed to as many as possible. And all of us have been given this trust of money, you know. Uh, we're talking about all kinds of M's, the message, the missions, mercy, multiplication, and, and money, all kinds of M's. And, and, and now, uh, if you're a guest this morning, I, I want to, you know, ask for your, uh, uh, just to, for you to hang in there. You're, you're now entering into this particular uh, bit of application for Tabernacle as a family. And you're welcome to the table. Uh, you're, you're obviously welcome to the family discussion, but I don't want you to feel any obligation that you've got to somehow participate. Um, but I do want to appeal to Tabernacle as a family. Uh, and that means with, if you're a member, for sure, you know, yeah, you're, you're a part of this family. But even if Tabernacle, if you're not a member, but Tabernacle is just your home church, you feel a part of this family. If that's true for you, it's true because you've been blessed here. You're growing here. You're becoming uh, more like Jesus here. And as much as you're receiving benefits here, I, I would want you to also understand that being a part of a family means that you also bear responsibility. And that we're all pulling a plow together. And I want you to feel the weight of that responsibility this morning, to a degree. All right? no, no guilt, no pressure, but a reality, a reality check that if you're part of this body, if you would call this church home, that means you have a responsibility here. All right, and so as we think about this next step of faith, I want to show you a couple of things that maybe are, are old news to you, but maybe are, are, is new to some of you. 
Um, when we did the initial campaign, the goal was, hey, let's pay off the balance of our mortgage, $750,000, which is a lot of money. And as Mike said, we were all going, boy, I don't know. In our wildest dreams, maybe we can come up with 50% of that. Maybe, maybe a little more than that. But folks, it was amazing to see God stir our hearts where people were praying how can I make a joyful sacrifice? And the combined result was, you know, 86% of that initial goal. That floored us, blew us away. So we are super grateful and incredibly thankful for everything that happened. And now as we're thinking about how, since we've started so strong, how can we finish well? And in order to finish well, what we're trying to do is get this PowerPoint to work. Well, you live by technology, you're going to die by it. All right, there you go. There we go. Um, so quick little bit of math. Back in November when we were putting together the anniversary figures and, um, and, and working on this, so our commitment balance, what, what was yet to come in of that 86% that was pledged was 384. And at that point, our mortgage balance was 460. So that left this gap of about 76,000. And so that's what's our, our need right now. If we could get that remaining 76,000 in commitments, guess what? That would free up all of the principal and interest payments that we're doing each year. Um, I can't remember if it was 2017 or 2016, but it was $64,000 that we spent, that we paid toward the bank for this wonderful tool for ministry. It was a valid expense, but if we can get out from under that, what could we do with that additional money, those additional resources every year for more ministry, missions, mercy, and multiplication? So that's our hope is we want to we want to finish this thing well and I firmly believe that if we get everybody that calls Tabernacle home putting their shoulder to this plow we're going to pay off this this mortgage and and be able to do uh, wonderful things as stewards of God's grace. And that's going to happen sooner than later. Um, so what I'm asking you to do is think about what commitment can you make if you weren't able to be with us last year if you're new or for whatever reason you just weren't in a position to participate, um, I'm, I'm going to ask everybody to, to help us finish strong. Um, and you have a, a commitment card in your bulletin. Uh, it's in this envelope, and if you, you know, see how it's, it's broken down into different um, uh, times for your gifts, and you can do it weekly, you can do it monthly, annually. Um, weekly seems like a lot. Daily you could do, I guess. Uh, that would be weird. But we're trying to finish in the next two years. And uh, Lydia just, just completed our, our updated commitment card. Um, she's got us down for a million weekly uh, and an, another million monthly, uh, I think 100,000 annually, and then another million as a one time. So yeah, we're going to work on that. That's going to be a stretch. But why don't, instead, why don't we look at this as a model? Uh, if we can get 19 more commitments, it breaks down very simply uh, and, and measurably. So maybe, maybe one of those gifts would be a, a large gift. That would be wonderful. A couple of $10,000 gifts would be helpful. Four or $5,000 gifts, uh, six $2,500 gifts, and six more $1,000 gifts would get us home. So the point is not that everybody makes an equal, sacrifice, uh, an equal uh, amount. The point is everybody would just simply pray, and how can I make a joyful sacrifice? I don't know if that's going to be a large gift. Maybe God has given you a lot of resources, and you can help lead us. Maybe God has given you two pennies, you know, like that widow that Jesus commended Hey, look, if that's what you can give, then bless you. 
The important thing is that we're doing this together. And don't think that, well, I don't have much, so I can't help, and I'm just going to bow out and let the, the heavy hitters handle this. That's, that's missing the spiritual point. The whole point here is for all of us to actually be asking, how can I glorify God? Our catechism talks about our chief end, our main purpose is glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Well, the same is true when it comes to our money. That God has given us money so that we can glorify God as stewards and so that we can help other people enjoy him and his blessings forever. That's our pitch, and, and it's spiritual. It's not, it's not something that is going to just um, happen because, you know, God waves his magic wand over you. This is something where, through the Holy Spirit's partnership, we say yes to, I want to embrace my role as a disciple who's also a steward. God changes our hearts through his work of converting us, and then we say yes to following him as his disciples. Uh, I love how the Mistletones were describing the blessing, the spiritual blessings that God uh, accomplished in their lives. I'm looking forward to what will happen in, in our congregation a year from now, two years from now, whenever it is, when we pay off the entire mortgage and we'll have another sort of Sunday like this. We'll have a meal, we'll have some fun, we'll talk about good stories, and then we're going to take a lighter and then we're going to take a piece of paper that's got the mortgage on it, and we're going to burn that sucker, and we're going to give thanks to God for how he has released us from our mortgage and has released additional resources so that we can be good stewards of our ministry, of our missions, of our mercy, and how we can keep multiplying. So a little bit of family business. If you're new, thanks for hanging in there and indulging with us. What I hope is that all of us corporately have seen this isn't just a money talk. This is about faithfulness to God. Ultimately, this is about how do we show that we have received the love of God through Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for the call to love back and to be in relationship with you. Please continue to change our hearts. Help us Help us love you more. Help us love one another more. Help us to love our neighbor and our community more. And may, those, may that love be expressed in, in real concrete, tangible ways as we show hospitality, as we speak words of blessing, as we, as we serve one another, and as we use the resources that you've given to us to, to be good stewards of, of your grace to us. Lord, we pray that this uh, community and even the nations would, would stand up and take notice that you get great glory uh, in us and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.